1: Or do something a little more epic. And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Dub Nation, Dub Nation, Dub Nation. Many years have passed, filled with titles,
2: NBA champions,
1: and new faces. The Golden State Warriors select James Weissman. Now, the voice of the Warriors Warriors. invites you to return to your seats. Please take your seat at the Warriors Roundtable. Bernie Butter got it! Curry! Welcome back to the
3: table. On the exclusive home of your Golden State Warriors, 95-7, the game.
1: Here's Tim
3: Roy.
2: Hey, welcome to another edition of the Roundtable. I am Tim Roy. Warriors getting ready for a game in Portland tomorrow night at 7 o'clock with the tip, 630 with the pregame show right here on your home for Golden State Warriors basketball, 95-7 the game. Now, Golden State comes in with a record of 19-16, and having lost to two Los Angeles the other night. Uh, not a good night for Golden State, obviously. They didn't play well. They weren't ready. And I think they have to find a way in the future to match L.A.'s physicality. Looked like the Lakers were just a little bit bigger and stronger at every position, almost every position. And uh, that's not a good recipe if you're going to try to uh, try to win, win games. You have to be able to match their physicality. I don't think the Warriors did that. And on defense, they were fouling. And they continue to be the team that surrenders the most free throw attempts per game in the association, which is astounding to me when you consider how good their defense has been. Their defense has been really good, and yet they still foul and they still put people on the free-throw line. So it's a real testament, I think, to what they're doing on the defensive end that there's still a top-five defense, even with that number staring you right in the face. Again, 7 o'clock tomorrow, Warriors in Portland, Warriors and Phoenix, right in the middle of this six-game stretch that I'm calling the toughest stretch in the association I'll match this schedule up with anybody's six-game stretch. Lakers in L.A., Portland in Portland tomorrow night, Phoenix in Phoenix on Thursday. And think about that one. (laughs) You're going to leave Portland at probably about 11 o'clock with your flight, right? Two-and-a-half-hour flight. So that then gets you to about one thirty. You lose an hour. Now you're looking at 2.30. Then you get to the hotel by about 3 a.m., and you got to get ready for a game that night. It's going to be a very difficult back-to-back. And then when the Warriors open the second half on Thursday, March 11th, again, back in L.A., this time to face the Clippers, and then a back-to-back at home. Utah on Sunday, Lakers on Monday. That's a real difficult stretch. And if they survive this stretch... With any kind of a 500 or better record, that'll be a great win uh, for Steve Kerr and the coaching staff and the team. So I think it's going to be really difficult. But your thoughts are always appreciated here, 888 9570. You can hit me up at Warriors Vox, Warriors VOX, or you can hit the text line as well. Same number, 888 9570. Lots of ways to get in touch with me here on the Warriors Roundtable. And we've got a great show for you tonight, later on in the show. We're going to give you all the scores of the night, look ahead of the schedule. We're also going to look back 59 years ago today in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Will Chamberlain scored 100 points. It's one of those records, it just may never be broken 100 points by Wilt Chamberlain in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Now, over the years, we've always gone back and looked at that game at this time of year. Back in the 90s, the Warriors did a special roundtable, a whole hour on that show, with great interviews with with Wilt and with Al Adels and with uh, Daryl Imhoff, who played in that game for the New York Knicks, the former Cal great. And lots of different perspectives. Bill Campbell, Hall of Fame announcer, we'll hear from him. So we had an hour-long show, and we put together part of that. We redid it and put together part of that years ago. We're going to air part of that for you later on in this hour. Plus, Willie Green, former Warriors assistant coach, one of the great guys in the association now, an assistant coach with Phoenix. We'll talk to him about coaching and also the impact of Chris Paul on that Phoenix Suns roster. But first up, we're going to talk to Michael Mulder. Michael Mulder is a player the Warriors got out of the G League last year, signed him to a contract, and he has signed now a 2-year NBA deal last year, so he is really living life large in the NBA. It's a job well done for him. He wasn't a highly recruited player coming out of high school in Canada. He went to junior college. He went to Kentucky, didn't get a lot of run there on a very talented team that had Jamal Murray and the DeAaron Fox and Malik Monk people like that. But he's starting to find a home in the NBA, and he's trying to get better as a Golden State Warrior. So we'll hear from Michael Mulder in just one second. Lawyers Basketball Academy has reopened their doors to their facility in Oakland. And for a limited time, they're offering a free physically distanced shoot 360 workout. Improve your game at our shooting and skill cages by going to gswacademy.com. It's really unique. It's really cool. And your game will get better. Michael Mulder's game is getting better all the time, shooting 41.9% from beyond the arc. He's a nice addition to the Golden State roster and a really great guy. I hope you enjoy my conversation right now with Michael Mulder. Mulder will drive Mulder. will finish with a right-hand dunk, One nineteen ninety one. That's something
4: new I haven't seen from him.
2: Absolutely. And I like it. Well, Michael, it's it's been a kind of an odd year for everybody, and uh, exciting for you. You 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 have an NBA contract. You're on the Golden State Warriors, but you've had to do it in kind of a different way. What's it been like for you?
5: Uh, it's been awesome for me uh, personally. It's been a great year of growth. You know, thinking back on on where I was a year a year ago to to where I am now, um, you know, it's been a great year of growth for me as a basketball player and as a, as a person. So. Um, I'm just pretty thankful to be in the situation I'm in and continue to be able to work and grow every day uh, with these guys.
2: What kind of growth have you had as a player?
5: Um, as a player, I feel like I get better every day. Um, just being around these guys, um, you know, they make they make us all better, um, offensively as well as defensively. But I think uh, on the defensive end is probably where I've grown uh, a little bit more. Being able to to learn and adjust to, to defensive schemes on the fly um, has been something that's really good for me, um, as well as continuing to. Uh, master my craft and and work on my shooting and, and guard skills. You
2: mentioned defense. What's it like having Draymond Green on your side?
5: Man, it, it's everything. Um, you know, I think everybody knows that he's our anchor on that end of the court. You know, he he knows how to get the guys in the right places and and put us in the right situations and positions to succeed. So it's it's really important uh, his role on our team, and you know we value him a lot for that. And uh, you know, a ton of that obviously is on the defensive end. And just to have a leader like that be able to to you know help us out in so many ways, um, offensively and defensively, um, that's something that's special.
2: Is there anything in, I guess, specific that he has he has taught you or he has helped you with?
5: I wouldn't say like one specific thing. I, I'd say it's more the um, the overall view of the game. You know, you can really uh, that he knows the game of basketball. So when he when he starts to talk and discuss and. Um, you know, tell us about what he sees and what he thinks we should do and why that is. Um, it gives you a, a great perspective on, you know, how how locked in he is mentally, how much time he's spent watching film and studying and analyzing. So, you know, it's really easy to trust him because, you know, he knows what he's talking about. So, you know, it's, there's a million things uh, individually, but it's more the grand scheme of um, the, the entire side of defense uh, that he's been able to really teach and lead all of us.
2: Talking to Michael Mulder here on the Warriors Roundtable. I'm Tim Roy, and, and Michael, you are from Canada, which in today's NBA is no big deal. There's plenty of, of great Canadian players in the league, and and uh, when I first got to the league, it wasn't that way. Um, there was a big center for the uh, Lakers and a couple of other teams named Mike Smirk and I was going, "Wow, he's from Canada. That's pretty cool." You know, but but to tell us a little bit about basketball in Canada and. and you know, and and how it's perceived and how do you think it's, it's, uh, it's
5: grown over the last few years? Yeah, it's been great. Um, You know, to see Canadian basketball grow and thrive the way it has over the last uh, few years has been awesome. Uh, Like you said, like growing up, there wasn't too many Canadians in the league. You know, I could count on one hand, uh, really, when I was younger, how many Canadians I could watch every night on on NBA basketball games. So um, growing up, um, watching that, obviously, I think all Canadian basketball players wanted to be part of that group. And um, it's great to see a lot, of, a lot of us being able to achieve that and, you know, represent our country every night when we step onto the floor. So obviously really fortunate to, to be a part of that group and really proud to, to be where I'm, to come where I'm from and, uh, you know, be able to represent that.
2: How much of an impact do you think, you know, the fact that the NBA expanded into Canada, Vancouver and Toronto, how much of an impact do you think that had?
5: I think that definitely uh, had an impact. Obviously, um, being able to play in those markets um, would would create opportunity. Um, but I think I think there are great players um, that come out of Canada and that that play in Canada, and, and sometimes they're just getting a little bit overlooked. Um, there's so much talent on this side of the border, so um, that's easy for that to happen. But um, I think it's been you know we've been putting. Putting the world more on notice, and uh, you know, obviously, opening some eyes uh, that there are great players coming from up north.
2: When you were in high school, and and, and you guys would uh, you would come down into uh, toward Detroit, right? You would play in tournaments there.
5: Yeah, I played in tons of tournaments. Uh, my my head coach, Pete Zamano that was really his focus um, was getting us opportunities across the border. Um, he would drive us, you know, six seven hours sometimes to play in tournaments so that we would have an opportunity to be seen and be recruited by, by American teams, American coaches. So that was that was something that was really important for us in our development, and, uh, you know, I think he recognized that, um, how important it was for us to get into the U.S. circuit and uh, really be noticed. When you
2: were playing in high school or maybe and you went to junior college at Vincennes, which is a uh, has a great pedigree, uh, guys like Bob McAdoo played there, Jerry Reynolds coached there. He was a longtime coach and GM with the Sacramento Kings when you uh were young and you're you're on the way up, at what point did you realize there's a chance for me to make basketball a career?
5: Um, you know, I think I always wanted to make it a career. I could never really envision myself doing anything else. Um, as hard as I tried, I, everyone would always tell you have a backup plan and stuff like that. And I still agree and believe in that, but it was just difficult for me to, to imagine myself doing anything outside of basketball. So, um, I think I, I really realized it, like you said, when you when you talked about Vincennes. Um, I remember there was a day at Vincennes, my head coach, Todd Franklin, was a really intense guy. Um, you know, we had we had messed up one too many times, and he had us on the line running sprints uh, for what sound, seemed like forever. Um, and, you know, at the end of it, he kind of called us all in and um, was telling us basically, you know, there's there's very few guys that can make a career out of this. Um, you know, I look around the room and there's a couple guys I think can make some money doing this. And, um, I remember he named me specifically among two or three other guys. And I think that was kind of the first time because I'd always been aspiring, you know, I wanted to play division one. Um, and this was kind of the step I was taking in junior college to try to achieve that goal. But I don't think I had looked too much further. Um, I'm kind of a, like one, one thing at a time type guy. So. Um, I hadn't really looked that much further down the road, but to hear him uh, and he, he really keeps it real, uh, you know, he doesn't lie or sugarcoat anything at all. And that's something I really like about him um, to hear him mention me um, and say he thinks I could make a career out of what I was doing. Um, that really put it on the radar for me. Like, yeah, like he, he really thinks that, um, you know, I, I feel obligated now. To, to make sure that comes to fruition. So I think that was that was really when I when it really got on the radar. Like, wow, I could really make a career out of this, and this could really be my profession. It was probably sometime around then. You had some
2: great teammates in at, at Kentucky, and your friend with Jamal Murray, another great Canadian player. What, what's it like having all of you guys in the, in the league at the same time?
5: Yeah, it's great, man. I mean, with Jamal, I've been so proud of what he's been able to do over in Denver um obviously since the day he got drafted um as well as the rest of the guys um you know obviously getting to share the floor with, with former teammates um with, or former Kentucky guys it seems like every game I go to there's, there's one or two Kentucky guys on the other team and um that's something that's been that's been really cool to see you know it's kind of like a brotherhood and a fraternity um and you know it's a, it's a group I always wanted to be part of and, and work so hard to to be part of so Um, To be able to obviously have that come to fruition and, you know, see these guys and and talk with them, chat with them a little bit before the game, after, um, and to see how much they've grown since leaving Kentucky, um, it's something that we're all really proud of.
2: I loved it when John Calipari got in the Hall of Fame and he said, all the players on stage, anybody who thought I I hurt their game, raise your hand. He said, said, DeMarcus Cousins is raising both hands. (laughs) (laughs) Why has this team not been able to put together a long winning streak? It's like one step forward, one step back. What, what, what do you think has to happen for this team to, to roll off, say, five or six?
5: You know, I think we're headed in that direction. I think we're, uh, we're getting better every day. Um, obviously learning and growing and adapting to things. Uh, you know, it's been a different type of year, but, um, I think we are headed in that direction. We're definitely headed in the right way. Um, you know, we haven't been able to put together a long winning streak and uh, it's it's not for lack of trying that's for sure we're definitely uh we're definitely working hard towards that so um i'm sure coming up here um you know we're going to we're going to figure it out and be able to put one of those runs together um and really look look like the team that everyone's familiar with um you know i think we we really are heading that direction so um i think just being patient um continuing to learn and grow and and continuing to go into every day with with something new to to get out of it is um, definitely gonna gonna help us in the long run, and we'll be able to put something together.
2: Final question: You're you're a great shooter. I mean, there's no way around that. Uh, but you get to play with Stephen Curry, and that's a little bit of a, a different deal. Tell me the first time you you know we saw him in person, and tell me what kind of an impact playing alongside him has had on you.
5: Yeah, um, you know it's been it's been obviously really special for me um, being able to share the floor with him. Uh, has been awesome. Um, you know, he's a great dude to watch and learn from because he's so professional and in, in how he moves and what he does. Um, you know, he's a great dude to model your game after. Um, and it's almost hard because he's the greatest shooter of all time. Um, you know, but not just shooting wise. Um, you know, the way he moves without the ball, the way he impacts the game on defensive end. Um, he's he's an all-around guy. Um, obviously shooting is something that, you know, everybody it, it it looks so crazy and, and it draws so much attention. Um, but like you should see the way that he sets screens and um, the way he helps get other people open and, and things like of that nature um, that, you know, it's it's not that type of stuff doesn't show up on the stat sheet or anything, but he is elite at all those things. So um, it's been great for, for me and the rest of the younger guys to be around him and you know, have him mentoring us and teaching us and, you know, telling us what he sees because, you know, these guys have been through deep finals runs and, and you know, won championships and, you know, won tough, gritty games in the playoffs. Um, and that's stuff that we're trying to do. So, um, obviously, having him and Draymond and Clay around um, who have been through the trenches, you know, that, that really gives us a, a great perspective and, and great leadership. That we can, you know, implement some of those things into our game.
2: Hey, Michael, I enjoyed this. This was this was a lot of fun. I appreciate your time, and and uh, best of luck against uh, Portland and Phoenix. Not an easy back to back, but I'm sure you guys will will uh, play pretty well.
5: Oh yeah, we plan to make it happen. Thank you, man. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as well. That's
2: Michael Mulder, Warrior's Wing, who is uh, really coming into his own a little bit as a player. I think he's got a chance to be in the league for a long, long time. He can defend a little bit. He can make a three. Now the next step is to develop that in-between game when you're run off the three-point line. Try to get a floater going. Maybe hit a mid-range shot. Things like that to add to his game. Uh, there's no question he wants it. There's no question he's working at it and we hope to see michael Mulder in a warrior uniform for a long time coming up on the show we're going to find out about one of the great records ever in american sports maybe the one that will never be broken and that is Will Chamberlain's 100-point night in Hershey, Pennsylvania. We're going to go back. We've unearthed some of our interviews, some of our great sound bites that we had from people who were there that night, 59 years ago. Stay tuned for that. Plus, we'll talk to Phoenix Suns assistant coach Willie Green, who was on Steve's Kerr's staff for a couple of years, and we'll find out what he learned while working for the Warriors that he's applying now in his coaching career. All that coming your way right here on your home for Golden State Warriors basketball. It's the Warriors Roundtable on 95-7, the game.
0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever. Or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news... Each and every member of Dub Nation has a seat at this table.
2: If everybody would please take your seats.
1: The Warriors Roundtable. The table has returned on 95.7. The game. Now back to Warriors Box.
2: A look away three. Oh, my goodness. That's ridiculous. They've got to be kidding me.
1: Tim Roy.
2: Warriors in Portland for tomorrow night's game, 7 o'clock with the uh, tip, 6.30, the airtime right here on 95.7, the game. Hey, Dub Nation, first call for season tickets. The twenty one twenty two season is just around the corner, and tickets are limited. Join the Dub Club for priority access to season tickets, along with exclusive pre-sale and special event opportunities. Go to warriors.com to sign up right now. And you'll be ready for next season. And hopefully next season, we'll all be trending in the right direction, as they like to say. And we'll be ready and inside of Chase Center for what should be a fun year of Warriors and NBA basketball. Well, Willie Green was around for the Golden State Warriors final two championship seasons as an assistant coach on head coach Steve Kerr's staff. Willie is just one of the nicest and most knowledgeable basketball men around. And when the opportunity came to move up the assistant coaching ladder to join Monty Williams on the staff of the Phoenix Suns, Willie Green was really eager and able to take over that role. He's been with the Suns now, and as we talk to him, the Warriors will play Phoenix, and that's going to be on Thursday night to wrap up their first half of the season. I had a chance earlier this year to catch up with Willie Green and find out about his life in the NBA as a player and now as a coach. First of all, Willie, it's great to talk to you, and and always great to talk some basketball with you, and and, uh, congratulations on the start of the season with the Phoenix Suns.
6: Thanks, Tim. Appreciated. Uh, you know, we we're we're excited about this year. We got a, we got some some guys that's returning, but you know, half of our team is new. But we're we're excited about the possibilities.
2: I want to talk a little bit about uh, about your time with Golden State. What do you take from, say, your situation with the Warriors that you could help apply with your job as an assistant to Bonnie Williams?
6: Oh, <laughs> where do where do I start? Um, <laughs> you know, I was given a great opportunity by Steve uh, Kerr and. Bob Myers, Joe Lakeup, Rick Welts. Um, so grateful for the opportunity to be there. And then and a great group of, um, you know, high character um, players and, and talented guys. And, you know, I just learned a lot, number one. And learning how to to do things the right way, how to play, how, how guys execute and play at a high level, how to coach and, you know, prepare a team for, a long run and ch- to go to a championship—all of those things were, were things that we learned, and, and then just the camaraderie that we had, that we have—I'm sure they still have—and that we had there in Golden State—and just trying to incorporate th- those things into a new organization was um, the goal in mind.
2: So, can you uh, maybe compare and contrast Monty Williams and Steve Kerr? Now, Steve, obviously, when you were with the Warriors, was in a much different situation than he is now. You know, when you have that veteran team, and you've got you know guys like Curry and Clay Thompson, Durant, and Draymond, he could kind of let them self police themselves. But but can you compare and contrast me a little the styles of what each brings to the table?
6: Well, I, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's it's a comparison and a contrast. I mean, it's just two different individuals who um, go about it two different ways. Both both ways that I, I appreciate and admire. I mean, Steve. Um, Really laid back personality, uh, but really he, he thinks a lot of things through. Um, you know, brilliant in the fact that offensively, you know, it's 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 the organized chaos, right? It's it's like he just allows guys to go out and you know play at a high level, play at play play at a pace that is hard to to prepare for. Um, and he's just he just has a great way with the guys. And then mining very similar in the, in the fact that, you know, he came from San Antonio. Steve did, too. Um, he's really uh, intent about his preparation and, you know, has good relationships with with all of the guys, gets the most, the max out of, um, you know, whomever come walks through the door. And so just two different, you know, sort of individuals, two different personalities, but, you know, both really, you know, high-quality individuals.
2: Yeah, it's interesting you said that because – that's what they tell uh, people in coaching positions. I tell broadcasters this, be yourself, don't be somebody else. And so they each are staying. Yeah,
6: definitely. Yes. Definitely.
2: Yeah, so they're staying true to themselves. Yeah. So, what what are you better at as a coach now than maybe when you first started coaching?
6: Uh, I just think, you know, you you get better with experience. Like I said, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to to be with Gold State and learn, you know, how to win on a championship level and You know, it was nerve-wracking, getting nerve-wracking a little bit, getting in front of guys, getting in front of the team, guys that have done it, has done it at a high level, and you're trying to, you know, tell them how to guard a ball screen. (laughs) (laughs) And so now I'm able to take that experience, like I said, and and incorporate it here in in, um, Phoenix. And I think that I'm better at, you know, getting in front of the team, you know, articulating concepts and coverages, and you know, just having the demand of the room, but a lot of a lot of those things I learned and started from in Golden State, which I'm really grateful for.
2: The only question I want to ask you about your ball club, and it's because we're you know he's been so good for so long. What's the impact that Chris Paul brings to a team?
6: Well, no, it's no doubt about it that he's a, he's a, he's a leader um, from the moment he walks in the door. You know, he's having guys come over to his house watch film with. You know, some of our younger guys, at the same time, he's still learning how to adjust and, and fit in with our team. But he, he immediately he impacts your organization in a positive way, high character, uh, intelligent. And as coaches, we're learning a lot from him too. You know, we kind of call him our, our extra coach. You know, we hired a, a coach and a player. So we're learning a lot from Chris. He and I go back a ways, and, and it's just been fun having him.
2: Well, Coach, we're all excited for your career, but uh, I have to admit that we do miss you. So uh, we uh, wish you, you know, success in, in your coaching career, and, and and thank you so much for the time.
6: I appreciate it. Appreciate Dub Nation and and all my family and friends uh, with the Warriors. Thank you. Thank you, Tim.
2: That is Willie Green, the assistant coach with the uh, Phoenix Suns, and he is going to have, a, I think, a long career in this league as long as he wants. Really, a uh, really good guy, really knowledgeable guy, and. Uh, as you heard in that interview, he really doesn't have a, a big ego. And I think that's great for an NBA head coach is not to have that that belief that your way is the only way uh, to do that. So, again, always a great to talk some basketball with Willie Green, and hopefully we'll get a chance to do that again uh, somewhere down the road. Hey, a couple of games ago, I, f- I forgot to mention this at the top, a couple of games ago we had a, a nice uh, little – Twitter question during our broadcast, and and we were talking about all the dunks the Warriors had in that first quarter the other night, you know, and talked about your favorite Warrior dunk. We got so many really good answers. The, the dunks I had forgotten about, a couple from Jay Rich during games. Obviously, the overall winner was the Baron dunk over Andre Karolinko in the We Believe season of oh six oh seven. Not that it was just a, a, a incredible dunk but it was also you know a dunk over Andre Karolinko, who at the time he was like the swiss army knife of defenders in the league so that, that to me made it even more special and uh, why it it's such a, a key play you know for the the Warriors franchise and their history was it just it represented that season it was kind of all, the high water mark of the season was right then warriors got the dunk and then Of course, it fell apart in Salt Lake City. They weren't able to finish it off. But it was truly one of the great four months uh, ever in, in Warriors history for terms of sheer excitement and getting the team back to the postseason. Well, when the Warriors were in Philadelphia, they won a couple of championships. But when they drafted Will Chamberlain, they ran into that roadblock that was the Boston Celtics in the 1960s. But they still had Will Chamberlain, and that meant they were in every game, and Will could go off at any time to score 50 or more. In fact, in one year, he averaged, he averaged 50 points a game, 61, 62 season. Think about that. He has an off night and gets 45. Well, to keep that 50-point average, he has to get 65 the next night. It's an incredible scoring season. It'll never, ever be broken, I don't think. I don't think there's any way someone could average 50 in our league with the way the defenses are today, the sophistication. But 59 years ago today, the Warriors were in the middle of that season, and they were playing a game in Hershey, Pennsylvania. You know, it's kind of an odd spot for a game, The uh, Sixers were the home team that night. Not a lot of media went to the game, but let's find out why were they in Hershey? We're going to go back and relive that night in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Look back at Wilt's 100-point game. Let's start off with why were they in Hershey? Let's hear from Hall of Fame announcer Bill Campbell.
3: We didn't draw all that well. The NBA was a different world than it is now. We played seven or eight games at uh, Hershey, and while they were – Well, while they were legally uh, considered home games for uh, Philadelphia, they really amounted to a a away game. It took the home court advantage away for the guys because it was a bus trip. It was a 100-mile trip up and back. And actually, I think the road teams probably were playing on a neutral ground. It It was a bad break for the guys in Philadelphia.
2: We spoke with Wilt in a Warriors special broadcast years ago. The night, Wilt Chamberlain scored 100. And Chamberlain had a premonition earlier in the day that he was going to be shooting just fine
3: we get to hershey about two or three o'clock in the afternoon there were no hotels for us to go to and stay in because we didn't do those kind of things in those days we went straight to the arena where we had to wait around for five or six hours for the game but having to be in this arena they had a shooting gallery a little penny arcade. so some of the guys went there and i started shooting rifles and so on and so forth and i couldn't miss anything so if there was ever a clue that i was going to have a hot day this was definitely the, the, the clue
2: at halftime, it was a high-scoring game, and Chamberlain had 41 points at the break. Warriors exec and then Warriors guard Al Adels said that inside the locker room, it was no big deal. He had
7: no idea, and you have to remember that we had played w- with him when he had scored big numbers, and of course, you know, the 78 points were in triple overtime. But but it wasn't anything strange to us to, to have him scoring big numbers, and 41 was, you know, maybe maybe you know maybe gets uh, 20 more in, in the next two quarters, and. He got 61, so so what? what's the big deal? So, we no, it wasn't anything that really alarmed anybody in the locker room that night.
4: But the
2: second half began, and Wilt's point numbers began to pile up. The game was going back and forth until Wilt's numbers really began to increase. Defense was not the highlight for either team. Daryl Imhoff, the Cal Bear great, was one of the three players that New York had assigned to guard Wilt that night. Wilt.
4: As obvious by uh, Cleveland Buckner's 33 points, Wilt wasn't paying a lot of attention to the defensive end. It was a very offensive game, as uh, accounted for by the final score. Uh, And Wilt was doing an awful lot of taking off and running down the floor. Of course, he did have foot speed, and uh, in the right situations, he could make himself available, and he did quite a bit of that in the third quarter.
2: But Wilt was not just getting layups or dunks. He had game, as they say. Al Adels remembers that Wilt was a multi-talented offensive player.
4: Contrary
7: to what people may have thought, he didn't just dunk the basketball. Wilt, he had an outstanding bank shot off the board, and he was able to go. In fact, most teams tried to play him that way, so he wouldn't turn in, and we used to get a little upset about it because we liked him turning into the basket, obviously, but he would take that bank shot, and some. Nights, he would get going on that shot, and it would be almost impossible to stop. So I, I kind of think that that may have been what happened, but I don't think it was just a matter of going inside him, going and dunking the ball over Willie or Cleveland
2: Chamberlain and his teammates, the New York Knicks, and those who were in attendance that night started to get the feeling that they were watching something really special. Well, you
3: know, I tell you, I I, I really had a good first half shooting the basketball, you know, and then and then in the second half, when I when I became the gunner. Uh, my percentages and everything kind of went, went down and people started like, you know, yelling that they want on a hundred and I kept saying to myself, a hundred, didn't that sound start with 80? You know, but. It was, you know, I tell you what, when you do things of that particular nature, while it's happening, sometimes you don't realize exactly what it is that you're doing.
2: Two months previous, Wilt had scored 73 points against the Chicago Bulls. And the record for the association, of course, was Wilt, a 79-point effort against Los Angeles back in 1961. But that game took three overtimes. The scores table in Hershey, though, knew he was close to that mark. Once again, Al Adams.
7: I think uh, when he got up somewhere in late third quarter, fourth quarter, Dave Zinkoff, who was the announcer, was now starting to call every point.
3: On the PA, they're announcing the new record of 79, and during the announcement, Chamberlain goes right ahead through the announcement and makes a foul. They're still making the announcement, he
4: makes another foul. Chamberlain didn't even listen to it. He just made two straight fouls. He now has 81 points.
7: Uh, He would go, now that's 83 or that's 85. Then I think there was a conscious effort to try to get him 100.
2: So now everyone knows, including the New York Knicks, who began to foul Chamberlain. But Wilt, a notoriously poor free-throw shooter, would miss only four in 32 attempts that night. So he was, in a sense... Unstoppable. Well, you know what?
3: Listen. First of all, whenever people say, "Well, who'd you play against when you scored 100?" and I say the New York Knicks, they say, "Well, who was guarding you?" and I mention guys like Daryl hoff and they always say, "Well, Daryl who?" and so on and so forth. Well, Daryl number one was a great defensive basketball player, college and in the pros. And you know, it's kind of a heck of a saddle to carry around on you your whole life that some guys scored 100, 100 points against you. And it wasn't against Daryl; it was against the New York Knicks. But no one ever says anything about the fact when he has scored fifty five re rebounds against the great Boston Celtics and, and the greatest of all, Bill Russell. You know, uh you know, if you're hot, you're hot it doesn't make any difference who the heck you're 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 playing playing against. I I thought one thing for sure, uh though, if uh the New York Knicks had decided to play basketball and now trying to concentrate on me scoring 100 points, I might have had 140, 150.
2: So now it's crunch time, and despite double and a triple teaming by the New York defenders, Wilt continues to pile it up. Once again, Bill Campbell at the mic as Wilt closes in on 100.
3: 165 to 144, and Norris makes the next one. The Warriors are now within eight points of the all-time team total. LaRisi with the ball down the right side, passes to Chamberlain, he's open, he shoots, he scores.
4: 167 to 145, he has a 98.
2: The time was running out on Wilt. They were now feeding Chamberlain at every chance. And for history's sake, and also for trivia buffs, the name is Joe Rucklick. He was the man who picked up the assist to help establish one of the great records in sports history.
4: He shot a uh, 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 jump shot from about uh, uh, four or five inches from the basket, and it went in softly. There were two guys on him because New York had been ganging up on him all night, and I was free for a minute because uh, they were trying to foul Guy and Al, and uh, Wilt moved like a ballet dancer, bump, busted the guy off his hip, got clear for an instant. And uh, I gave him the pass, and he floated up and uh, lifted it off his hand.
2: The last frantic seconds of that contest described by Bill Campbell. Moments that are recorded in Springfield, the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, as Wilt scored for eternity.
3: 167 to 146. Now let's see if they found somebody quick. Rogers throws long to Chamberlain. He's got it. He's trying to get up. He shoots. No good. The rebound, Luckinbill. Back to Chamberlain. He shoots. Up. No good. In and out. The rebound, Luckinbill. Back to In Into Chamberlain. He made it!
2: Along with the mark came one of the most historic photos ever taken in pro sports. Wilt in the locker room holding up the number 100, a handwritten sign of Harvey Pollack, statistician extraordinaire, was at the time the PR man for the Philadelphia Warriors, and he recounts the hectic post game scene. Now,
3: when the game ended, I had to write a one paragraph lead for the Inquirer and, and ship it uh, up to the Western Union man. Then I ran to the dressing room. Where, you know, all the media that were there were crowding around Wilt, and the photographers were wanting to get a picture of him. So I took out
4: the piece of, like, copy paper, wrote a 100 on there, and handed it to Wilt.
2: They handed it to Wilt. The Warriors winning the game, 169-147, as Wilt shot an incredible 36 for 63 from the field 28 for 32 from the line and when we spoke to him years ago he seemed somewhat embarrassed about the amount of shots he took 63 shots is something that he never thought he would do in a game
3: as the time goes by i feel more and more a part of that 100 point game when it first happened you must understand i'm from the streets and and when you throw up 63 shots in the game you're considered to be a gunner you understand and uh I always looked at that as uh, me having my best day gunning, you know, not not really performing, you know, But it has become a handle, and I begin to realize just how and what I did. But what you must understand, that 100-point game wasn't a single man's achievement, as I've been trying to tell people for years. It was a team effort, and the guys on my team went above and beyond the call of duty to make it happen for me.
2: It took a long time for an NBA player to reach 73 points in a game, and that was David Thompson for the Denver Nuggets against Detroit in 1978. So we did ask the Dipper if he felt someone could duplicate his feet.
3: Well, you know, I actually believe that they, they, they can. You know, I, I think that any any great athlete, let me give you an example. There was a guy named Walt Wesley who played for the University of Kansas and ended up playing with Cincinnati. He averaged, I think, for his career in the pros about three points a game. But one game, he had 50. I mean, when you, when you think of uh, him going over his average, well, if he can get 50 in the 50 and he only averaged three points a game, then any great, great scorer on a hot, hot night, he might be able to score 100.
2: However, many doubt that today's players, who view 50 points as a huge night, or maybe 60 if you're Shaq, many doubt that this mark will ever be broken by today's NBA players. Dikemi Mutembo, the starting center for the Philadelphia 76ers, scoffs at the notion that anyone can ever get 100 points in a contest. It was
7: never going to be broken. who Whoever's going to do that, I would ask myself, was he playing by himself? Or was he playing against the other five guys in the other team?
2: In baseball, Babe Ruth's home run record has been obliterated. Scoring records shattered in the sport of hockey. Scoring marks in the NFL in the 1960s have been torn apart. Wilt's 100 points in a game could stand the test of time. Well, your teammate, Joe Ruckley. I
4: think it was the greatest single sports achievement ever. You People talk about it all the time to me. We, we talk about five home runs in a game. That's five swings of a bat or... A dozen touchdowns in a game, which pretty much looked the same. And what Wilt did that night was extremely complex. It was unimaginably complex because of the uh, number of guys on him and the things he had to do every time he came down the court.
2: That was Joe Rucklick, and it really uh, was a a great way to finish off that piece. We aired that piece back in 2002. And, you know, certainly things have been a little bit different from now. The, The scoring has picked up. Stephen Curry has changed the game. But still... Wilt's 100 stands at the top. It stands alone. Well, is a 2020-2021 t- Warriors season presented by Kaiser Permanente. When we come back here on the roundtable, maybe a time to squeeze in a call or so at 888-957-9570 or hit me up on Twitter at Warriors Vox, Warriors, V-O-X or hit up the text line as well. And we'll also check the Kaiser Permanente scoreboard and a look ahead of the schedule. This is the Warriors Weekly Roundtable on your home for Golden State Warriors basketball. 95-7, the game.
1: Tim Roy is holding court. Pun intended. Join me in my court at Camelot. At the Warriors Round Table. On 95-7, the game. Now back to Warriors Box. It's good, Tim Roy.
2: Well, the Golden State Warriors are teaming up with Kaiser Permanente and the Athletes Corner to turn points into meals with swishes for dishes. For each point the Warriors score this season, 100 meals will be donated to local food banks to support Bay Area families. Go to warriors.com slash swish to learn more. It's so important. With so many people having trouble, you know, with work because of the pandemic, and the Warriors had a pop-up pantry at Thrive Center last week. It was certainly... Uh, Great to see the meals being handed out to those who really need it right now. And uh, so congratulations to the Warriors Community Foundation for continuing that fine work and helping out those in need in this pandemic. Now, Golden State has always encouraged their employees and their coaches to reach out and to do different things to try to further, uh, I guess, uh, Continue their education, if you will, and also continue with their careers. One way they do that is with on Steve Kerr's coaching staff. We have two coaches who are coaching other uh, nations' national teams. Mike Brown coaches the Nigerian national team. Chris DeMarco, Warriors' assistant, is head coach of the Bahamian national team. Now, before you say, "Okay, Bahamas," how can that be a, a team to th- think about the players in the NBA who have? Some some tie to the Bahamas. Clay Thompson for one, right? That jumps off the page to you. Uh, DeAndre Ayton is another. Buddy Hield in Sacramento, another. So there is some talent there. They recently played a friendly, if you will, in competition. Chris DeMarco was unable to attend because he's working with the Warriors, and they were playing a lot of their young guys. And we wanted to ask him about where that team stands. And here is what he said:
5: <laughs> No, it's uh, luckily we have a great staff and. And we keep in touch and talk about everything and game preparation. And um, actually, Clay Thompson's brother, Michael, plays for the Bahamas. And he had a actually really good game against Puerto Rico. I think he scored 21 points. Um, so we obviously have Clay on this trip. So Clay would give me updates here and there. We'd have Raymond Ritter or somebody, like, let us know what the score was because we were playing during that second game. So it's exciting and um, it's something I love doing and being a part of it. I mean, I, like I was one of the best basketball days I've had. Uh, that that Charlotte that Charlotte day because we had the G League team our Santa Cruz team playing with some of our young guys. We had the Bahamas playing, and we were obviously playing against Charlotte, so great basketball day for myself.
2: Chris Tabarco, Warriors assistant coach. Let's get to the Kaiser Permanente scoreboard. We start off with a a final as John Morant showing off his basketball IQ. As Morant comes into the paint again, misses a floater from 14, rebound taken by Beal. Morant's second miss of the night. Six of eight from the field. Beal, a spot-up three in transition, no good. Long rebound to Morant, lobs it up ahead, ahead of the pack is Winslow to the rim two-handed jam what vision by Ja Morant grabbed the rebound left his feet into the air and a two-handed over the head pass a la the great Wes Unseld who played his ball in D.C. now a steal again for the Grizz Melton got a hand on it in transition Brooks to the rim lays it up and in over Westbrook 66-52 Scotty Brooks has seen enough, and it got worse from there. Memphis winning one twenty five to one eleven over the Washington Wizards. Jamarrant with the west unsell pass. Well, Steve Holman is the longtime voice of the Atlanta Hawks, and he has a feel for how Atlanta is
1: playing. Ray, ten on the twenty four, loops it down low to John Collins. He gets run into. Now John throws it over to Bogey. Bogey goes out to Tony Snell. Tony Snell in the lane. Back over now they get to Trey. Trey with one second. Has to force it up, and he misses. Rebound tipped high in the air. Clint Capella gets another rebound. Clint's going to take it to the basket himself. He has it knocked away and stolen. Oh, brother. Now coming back, Struss. Struss will drive and lay it in. Boy, the Hawks should be ahead by a lot.
2: Yes, you were right, Steve. In fact, they went ahead by a lot once they stopped the turnovers. 92 to 80. They lead Miami in the fourth quarter. 17.6 seconds to go. Hawks will pick up their 15th win of the year and their first under interim head coach Nate McMillan. Down in San Antonio, the New York Knicks are trying to mount a comeback against the Spurs.
1: Randall for Bullock. Back for Randall up top. Those two have made a great combination in recent weeks. Randall for Barrett, right wing for three. It is good in rhythm for R.J. Barrett. And the Knicks, a slow start from three. Different story. They've now made six. San Antonio refuses to double a lot,
3: so Randall has to make quick decisions on the one-on-one moves. Nice find to R.J.
2: And, of course, right now it's still San Antonio on top 55-51. That's got 9.22 to go in the third quarter. They've got a good ball game up going into Boston between the Clippers and the Celtics. Kick out Lou Williams. Drives right side, hand to Zubat. a little set shot from 17 feet. No good. Rebound pinballed around, and Jalen Brown eventually snatches it up.
6: His second rebound. Jalen up the right side of the floor against Marcus Morris. Switches to the left
4: hand, drives, pumping, <laughs> spins, and misses the shot,
6: but an offensive rebound throwdown for Daniel Tice. We'll keep that on the highlight reel. Man, beat both of those dudes. Beautiful
2: stop and go. And then the Clippers, though, are able to finish out the third quarter this way.
1: And we're not even done in the third quarter. Jackson inbounds near sideline, 5.2 seconds left in the third. Get it in Williams straight away. Williams moving to his left. Step back, left wing three. At the horn. Oh, Lou Williams connects. Williams gives the Clippers a 1 point lead as we go to the 4th on a step daddy 3 from the left wing
2: but in the fourth quarter, Boston has outscored the Clippers twenty-three to sixteen. They lead one eleven to 105, 305 to go, and that one in Boston has just called a timeout. Denver is blowing out Milwaukee in Milwaukee, fifty to twenty-nine. That's in the second quarter of play. Coming up later on, the Phoenix Suns are in Los Angeles to take on the Lakers, the Detroit Pistons and the Toronto Raptors game. That was canceled because of some COVID issues for the Toronto Raptors. Now, let's look ahead to our schedule tomorrow night, 7 o'clock with the tip when the Warriors take on the Trail Blazers.
1: And the jump ball is
2: tapped. It's controlled by the Blazers. It's Damian Lillard with the ball. Down to two seconds left. free for the win. Mm. Barry's dead. And the Blazers <laughs> win. Damian Lillard, the fadeaway three at the buzzer. Razors win it
4: 123-122. It's a Rip City winner. Mama told me there'd be days like these. Don't quit playing, boy. Unbelievable.
2: 6:30 with the airtime tomorrow night, and then the night after that. You got to play Chris Paul on the Phoenix Suns. Chris
5: Paul dribbling on the logo. Down to 13 to shoot. CP3. Gary Harris loosely guarding him. Down to eight seconds on the timer. Booker comes around. CP3 still dribbling. Now goes to his left, hesitates, fades, and hits the shot on the baseline
2: with seven seconds left. Chris Paul, the closer, puts the Suns up four. Thursday night, 6.30, the pregame show. Warriors and the Phoenix Suns to end the first half. Sadly, we have to end the Warriors roundtable, but good news. The final word is coming up next with the J.D., John Dickinson, Ryan Covey. Warriors wing Damian Lee will join them at 9 o'clock, so keep it right here on your home for Golden State Warriors basketball. I, Tim Roy, thanking our producer, RCD. Davis thanking the man at the controls tonight. Craig Carlos Valentino coming out of the bullpen to close this one out. I'm Tim Roy saying good night for the Warriors Weekly Roundtable. Stay tuned. The final word is up next. The Warriors Roundtable will take the All-Star week off. We come back on March the 18th. And you're listening to your home for Golden State Warriors basketball, 95.7 The Game.